I often ask myself, what do we as Christians have that is so good that it's a shame that the world has to live without it? The answer, I believe, is the good news about Jesus, and that is worth sharing. This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I pray that today's message shares that good news and that you are richly blessed by it. Starting last week and continuing uh, through the next month, we're studying through the 23rd Psalm with the aid of Louis Giglio's book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. We're letting it guide our thoughts about how our minds are under attack from the enemy and God has given us the power to win the battle over our minds. As we honor the Word of God and the authority of God, we read from Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. If you're not careful, it takes almost no time at all for the enemy to pull up a seat at, your, at the table your shepherd has prepared for you. The tiniest sliver of opportunity, the smallest window of doubt or uncertainty, and just like that, the devil is sitting at your table, beginning to win the battle for your mind. I would have said, like, it, it just takes a snap, but I don't snap well. I don't understand how people do that, but it, I, usually people are like, you can't snap, go ahead and try, and I do, and then they laugh at me, and that's a setup, uh, and so I didn't want that to happen, but, but know this, it only takes a moment to provide a crack for the enemy to start working into your life and into your mind, to try and win that battle for your mind. Now, sadly, many of us have taken or have come to accept the enemy sitting at our table as normal. Well, this is just the way it is. It's just the way life is this side of heaven. We're just going to have to make our do with it. But allowing the enemy to have a say in our lives should not be normal. In Romans chapter 8 and starting in verse 10 it says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Okay, if God's spirit, which by the way, when, when the son died on the cross and was buried, when the son was dead, the father raised the son by the power of the spirit. If, you, if, if you're with me so far, say amen. amen. 
good. That's basic Christian doctrine we're in. I'm glad to hear there weren't many dissenting voices. And, and, and so we've, we've, we've got that down. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, if the same resurrection power is available to me, if Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin, then God's invitation to me is not simply to be forgiven, but it's to a whole new mindset, a whole new way of thinking and being. To embrace a new way of living. And in Jesus' name, we're to think of ourselves as dead to the power of sin. In Jesus' name, we don't have to let the enemy and his voice control the way we live. Amen. In, I got one. In Jesus' name, we don't have to give in to these sinful desires and we can win the battle for our minds. Thanks to Jesus, we're no longer slaves. We're set free. We're alive. We're children of God. Now, to be clear, the enemy rarely shows up and offers direct opposition. That's rare. He's often very quiet at first. And in fact, can even be friendly. He doesn't carry a pitchfork so that you can easily identify him. He rarely sits down and threatens to do something like eat you. The Bible teaches that he often appears to be on your side at first, promising relief from your troubles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 14 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, which is, which is the Bible's way of saying he rarely shows his true colors when you see him. He doesn't show you that his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. John chapter 10. The devil will use whatever is available and at hand to get into your head. Now I want to say that again because it's really important. The devil will use whatever is available and at hand to get into your head. And if what's available is a movie, then he'll use it. If what's available is a few subtly placed memes, then he'll use it. If what's available is an overheard conversation about something you thought you knew something about, then he'll use it. Okay, the devil will use whatever is available and at hand to get into your mind. And, and, and I know there are some of you that just hate, I hate it when I sit down in a restaurant and I hear people arguing, but I didn't hear the beginning of it, so I don't know whose side I'm on. <laughs> that bugs me. I need to know whose side I'm on. I don't want to have to try and figure it out on the way. But the devil, get this, the devil will use whatever is at hand to distract you and to get into your mind. I know this, he's not above kicking you when you're down. When you're lonely, when you're angry, when you're exhausted, when you're burdened, when you're pressured. All of this will make you more susceptible to the devil's influence. The Bible in 1 John 2, 16 describes three of the biggest items in the devil's toolkit. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, the devil can take anything your body naturally desires and use it to harm you. That's the lust of the flesh. Can take anything your body naturally desires and use it to harm you. The devil can take anything you see and wish for 
as a part of his trap to lead us toward destruction. That's the lust of the eyes. The devil tries to convince us that, that we're all we need. Getting us to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in ourselves and what we're able to do and make and earn. And that's the pride of life. Often the devil appears empathetic. You see, that's how he worked on Eve back in Genesis 3. And he got her to question if God was really good. Surely he's withholding something from you. Something you truly need. And would make your life better. In whatever way the devil gains access to your table, his goals are always the same. He wants to gain access to your mind so he can destroy you. And today I want to talk about five lies that the devil tells us. Okay, now here's the deal. Y'all have heard me say this before. Y'all have heard this before. Even I said it, that it's been around a while. The devil doesn't have to come up with many new tricks because the old ones work just fine. Okay, but here are five lies that the devil's been telling for a really long time. The first one, and this will get into your head and this will change the way you live. The first one is the lie of comparison. If you've heard recently that it's better at another table, then you can be pretty certain that the enemy is at your table. The table that Jesus prepares for you is about life and life abundant. John 10, 10. When the devil's at your table, though, he often points at another table and is incessantly talking about how great it is somewhere else, somewhere over there. Surely, he'll say, you should leave your spouse and go be with someone else. Life will be better there, right? Right? That's the solution to your problems. If you could just be with someone else. Surely you should run with the crowd at the popular table. That table's pretty, that, that table's pretty amazing. And those people are cool. And those people are attractive. And this table is pretty tame. And this table is pretty lame. Which one do you want to be at? Look, just try it over at that table. And then you can come back. There's more food, more satisfaction, more joy, more of what you're looking for right over there, I promise. Would I lie to you? He'll mix in a little jealousy and envy. He'll throw in a dash of self-pity, a pinch of entitlement, and voila, make you frustrated that God is blessing someone else more than he's blessing you. God must love them more than he loves you. Or at very least, he's holding out on you, not giving you what you really need. And pretty soon the devil has you convinced that God is not good and hasn't blessed you and doesn't love you. And he's forgot about you or he's lied to you. That's the lie of comparison. The grass is always greener. Second lie, the lie of hopelessness. If you have bought into the lie that you are doomed and you are not going to make it. The enemy is seated, is seated at your table. Your God has told you that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear evil. Now here's the thing about that verse. We sometimes miss the meaning of the word through. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say even though I walk to the valley. It says even though I walk through it, as in, go through it, as in, go in one side and out the other through. You're going to make it. You're going to go through the valley. You're going to come out the other side. It's already promised that you're going to make it. The time in the valley is that moment where in real time, even though I will, faith is being formed. The good shepherd will never tell you, you are not going to make it. He will never tell you that it's hopeless and you have no way out. The good shepherd will say to you, we're going to go through this valley. I'm going to be with you all the way through. And guess what? We're going to have one story to tell on the other side. Think of how God delivered his people from slavery during the Exodus. God did not build a bridge over the Red Sea. God parted the waters and had them walk through the Red Sea. He doesn't build, oftentimes God doesn't build a, a bridge over troubled waters. He has you walk through troubled waters. He'll, his miracle plan is to give you the grace and power to go through things. Third lie, the lie of worthlessness. If you are hearing, you are not good enough. The enemy is at your table. Now, 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 I know some of you are going to say, well, hold on, Adam. I'm not good enough to be saved. I'm, I, I fully know and believe the gospel. None of us are righteous. Our righteousness is filthy rags compared to Christ. I get it. I'm talking about the difference between humility and self-abasing unhealthy shame. Okay, humility is a godly trait, but humility, and y'all have heard this before, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Okay, it's not me saying, boy, I'm a worm, and trying to convince myself of how terrible I am. That, that's not humility, that, that, that's shame, that's, that, that's a burden. The blessing of humility is that I don't have to always try and prove myself and I don't have to think about myself. Instead, I can think about you and I can think about what you need and how I can bless you. Amen. Being able to think of myself less, that's the key to humility. That, that you're made in the image of God means you are not worthless. I can't look at myself and say I'm terrible and worthless if I'm made in the image of God. Now, it also keeps me from walking around and saying, boy, look how great I am because I am the pinnacle. You are not. You are made in God's image and it's him that makes you valuable. So, it keeps my humility in check, but it also gives me value to know that I'm made in the image of God. And maybe someone told you you'd never amount to anything. Or maybe a spouse walked away or a parent bailed or the right man or woman that you've longed for never walked through the door. Maybe you always wished you looked like someone else or had the gifts that a friend has 
Or maybe you're smothered in guilt and shame, and no matter what you do or how hard you try, it seems like it's never enough, like you are never enough. That message was written in hell. It is crippling, it is debilitating, it is paralyzing, it is suffocating, and I can tell you it did not come from the Good Shepherd. If you're hearing that message, I want you to look across the table into the eyes of the Good Shepherd where you will not see scorn or shame. You will see love. And you may notice the scars on the hands that hold your glass and the pitcher that fills your glass up with water to refresh you. Yes, Jesus is holiness personified. But the Holy One invited you here. He booked the table. He prepared the meal. He sat down to join you. And this reservation cost him everything. Fourth lie. The lie of loneliness. If you're hearing that it's you against the world... Then the enemy's sitting at your table. The voice of illogical fear telling you that everyone's out to get you. The voice that causes you to mistrust everyone else in your life is meant to undermine your confidence about what God says is true about you. Look, here's the deal. It's possible that someone hates you and that someone's out to get you. I got a few people in my life that I don't know that they would use the word hate, but I can't come up with a better word for the way that they treat me and their actions look to me and towards me. And I know that they are opposed to me and they are out to get me. It's possible that there are someone in your life that hates you and is, and is opposed to you. It is not likely at all that everyone that you know is opposed to you and is out to get you. We're too selfish to constantly be thinking about you and how to get you. All right? I, I, I'm just telling you that I can't, I, I can't be out to get you because I'm thinking about me too much. What's more likely is that you've been hurt so badly in the past that you walk through life with your fists clenched, ready to punch someone else before they punch you, ready to, 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 to hit them before they can hit you, ready to hurt before you get hurt. And if this is you, you need the good shepherd to walk you beside still waters. And help you lie down in green pastures. And lead you along paths of righteousness. You know that God has got your back. That it's not just you against everybody because God has got your back. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I think we say things like that but I don't know how much we put our faith in things like that. I want, I want you to say it to yourself. God has got my back. All right, now I want you to try believing it. 
Okay, and I mean, I mean that. I'm not just saying you didn't say it loud enough, like you didn't. But, um, <clears throat> but, but, but really the point is not I want you to say it loud here and get rah-rah. I want you to take it home with you. I want you to, to lay down at night and I want you to think that in your head. As, you're, as your mind races and you go through all of the things that cause you frustration and struggle and anxiety and worry, I want you to remind yourself, God has got my back. Because here's the deal. God is for you not against you. And that matters greatly. In the psalm it says, you anoint my head with oil. And, and I got to be honest, every time I read that, I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's nice. And then I kind of heard, well, that's a blessing. And then I was like, or maybe like I'm being anointed as if I'm royalty, which is kind of not where the psalm is going. What's the psalm about again? Sheep. Sheep. You anoint, my shepherd anoints my head with oil. See, here's where you got to know a little something about sheep. And I had, to, I had to do some study to find this out. The biggest nemesis that the sheep faced was not the wolf. Now, here's the deal. Wolves are dangerous. But that's not the most common reason sheep die. What would happen is that flies and other insects, in particular ones that carry parasites, would find the soft tissue in the sheep's face, their eyes and their nose. I know it's gross. And would reproduce there and it would cause, imagine trying to breathe with a bunch of insects. I said gross. And in the woolly, woolly wool, that's, I talk for a living. Um, <clears throat> In the wool around their face, they would nest and they would, they would be there and it would eventually cause them to get sick and die. And so in order to protect the sheep, the shepherd would take oil and would rub it across their face so that that was a protection and, 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 and it would keep the gnats and, and the flies and those, anim, those insects away. That, that the shepherd was protecting them from aggravation, from lies and from deceit just like he does for us. When we remind ourselves that God has our back, we are more likely to set aside our fears and our selfishness and to open our hands and hearts and serve others. God has got my back, but also remember this, God has given me more than I need. God has not scrimped on the table that he has prepared for you. And Jesus wants my life to reflect the bounty of his table. He wants my life to overflow. And when I see all that God has provided, I cannot help but share. The bounty of God's table allows me to change the narrative in my life from everybody hates me and is against me to God is for me and has my back. And the bounty of the table changes me into an agent of love to those around me. And yes, some folks are going to reject that. But you would be amazed at how many people in the world are just waiting for someone to look up and love them. Fifth lie. The lie of defeatism. If you feel like you're surrounded and that there's no way out, you can know that the enemy is at your table. 
The enemy convinces you that there is nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, that there is no way forward and that there is no chance you will ever be free again. If you feel surrounded and like there's no way out, I have great news for you today. You are surrounded. You say, Adam, I think you messed up. You were turning pages and you might have gotten distracted because you said, if you feel surrounded, you have great news. And then you said, you're surrounded. Now, you heard me, right? That's what I meant. But, but being surrounded happens to be a little better than you think. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you see, Elijah the prophet had served God mightily, and then he passed on his, his, his mantle to Elisha. And Elisha was a prophet who would constantly, uh, God worked through him in powerful ways. What he did was when Israel's opponents would come to attack them, God would tell Elisha where they were and what they were doing. And then Elisha would go to the commander of Israel's army and say, okay, here's where they are. Here's when they're going to attack. Here's what's going to happen. And Israel was ready for it. Time and again, Israel was ready for it. And, and, and the, the, the kings that were oppressing them were so mad. They were like, how does he know? Which one of you traitors is telling him? And one of those prophets, the false prophets from the, that king said, well, maybe. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe. God's telling him. And he said, but that's not our God. And I thought our God was the best God. And he said, well, it was just a theory. Well, one time Elisha and his servant head on down to Dothan, not Alabama, a uh, different place. Um, and, and, and he says, he goes there and, and the servant is so nervous because he walks out of the, of the place that where they're staying and he sees in the morning all of these people who are surrounded uh, by them. Don't, don't click through just yet. I'm getting there. This was all set up. Um, in verse 10. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. So you were staying with me, and I appreciate that. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord and king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Well, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. He then sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Okay. The, the lie of loneliness. We're all alone. No, we're not. But that doesn't conquer the lie of defeatism. But we're surrounded. Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If you feel surrounded, 
Know this, you are surrounded all right, surrounded by God's forces, blazing with glory and might. And it may be that circumstances are closing in, that enemies have taken up their positions in the night, and that you're surrounded by threats and accusations and hate, but remember that that's only half the story. The Spirit of God is praying over you that your eyes will be opened. That you can see that the Lord is on your side and whatever is surrounding you, he has surrounded that. I want to call up Kenny and the team. I want to call our prayer team up to the front as well. I didn't tell you these five lies. So that you would focus on the enemy. I told you those so that when you hear them, you know who's speaking. And you instead can turn your eyes and focus on the good shepherd. Because you are loved and you are chosen. Because this table is for you. And Jesus didn't send a messenger to tell you how valuable you are. He came himself. He paid the price and he is the prize. He's waited an eternity, literally, for you to join him. And he's sitting across from the table telling you that you're worth it. And when the enemy tells you that you're not smart enough, that you're not strong enough, that you don't have the right background, that you're not pretty enough, that you don't matter enough, I want you to look up and I want you to lock eyes with the king. And I want you to hear him say, my daughter, my son, there is nowhere I would rather be than at this table with you. His words are the words of life. His voice thunders from heaven, the Psalms say, and it drowns out every enemy's lie. And by His grace, you can be saved. And by His grace, you have the power to take authority over the voices at your table and kick the devil out of your dinner party. Because at the name of Jesus, he has to flee. Heavenly Father, we call upon the name of Jesus. That we would kick the devil out of our table. The table that you've prepared for us. In the presence of our enemies, God, we sit in your presence. And know that you have our back. And that you are enough. And you have given us more than we could ever need. You have provided for us. You have saved us. You have empowered us. You have gifted us and you have called us. May we be at rest in you because if you are for us, who can be against us? God, protect us from the lies of the evil one. May we give our hearts to you always, always, always. We thank you and we love you.
in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know him yet, I urge you to give your life to him in baptism, to make that proclamation of faith and say, I want to be his. I want that protection. I want my good shepherd. Do that now while we stand and while we sing. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.